the fact of the matter is, why even put yourself through that when it's so simple to just put together a will? I tell everybody, just because a house sells doesn't mean everybody gets their money. People get uncomfortable, right? Nobody wants to talk about dying. But last time I checked, there's a 100% mortality rate still. So it's better to be proactive and have a plan. I agree with you. I feel like the more you have buttoned up up front, the more that you can just be raw in the moment and don't have to worry about it. Welcome to the Urban Connect Podcast. I am Jennifer Archambeau, the broker owner of Urban Provision Realtors, and I'm thrilled to have you tuning in today. If you're here, chances are your prospective buyer, seller, or homeowner searching for clarity on the ever-changing real estate landscape here in Texas, and you've come to the right place. In each episode, we'll discuss a myriad of topics, providing you with the knowledge and tools to navigate the complex realm of real estate, from insider tips on how to prepare your home for a successful sell, to insights on the latest market trends and everything in between. We've got you covered. So sit back, relax, and get ready to take your real estate knowledge to the next level with the Urban Connect podcast. So welcome back. Selling a home within an estate can seem like a challenging endeavor, and it comes with various obstacles that can consume both time and money. In this episode, we'll explore the most common mistakes made by first-time heirs and executors, as well as the more common um, complex pitfalls that even a seasoned seller can stumble upon, and we'll reveal expert tips on how to sidestep these obstacles and navigate through the intimidating process with ease. This leads me to introducing today's guest, Brooklyn Chandler Willie, with Texas Financial Advisory. Brooklyn founded Texas Financial Advisory in January 2008 with only 6,000 in savings, a hope, and a prayer. Her vision was to create a boutique tax investment and advisory, a state advisory firm that would cater to the needs of goals of savers. In retrospect, starting a business, let alone an investment advisory firm in 2008, the year of the most devastating stock market crash in U.S. history, could have been seen as a misfortune. However, Brooklyn saw it as an opportunity to develop a philosophy of conservatism and respect for hard-earned nest eggs. Brooklyn holds a Texas insurance license and has passed the Series 65 securities examination. She's graduated from Baylor University with a degree in business administration and political science, with a minor in Spanish. Then she went on to earn her Juris Doctor from St. Mary's School of Law. Brooklyn's experience and expertise has helped her build a successful business and has served clients throughout, her, throughout Texas for over 14 years. She is committed to helping her clients achieve their financial goals and providing them with peace of mind when it comes to knowing that their hard-earned money is in good hands. Brooklyn has been featured on KSAT 12, WOAI 4, and KENS 5, and is quoted in Forbes and Texas Monthly. Brooklyn, it's my pleasure to host you as a guest today on Urban Connect. Hi, Jennifer. Happy to be here. Hi, I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation. I feel that, I mean, I've navigated this process myself a couple of times myself, you know, death in the family, but I see this all the time in real estate where so many people make mistakes and they realize the mistake, whether in the process or after the process is over. So I think this is a good conversation to have. Right. And just for uh, compliance sake, I'll throw this out there. We're not practicing law by what we're talking about. We're just giving our experience of what we've seen assisting clients to and through probate or after the death of a loved one. 
So got to throw that in there for you. That's the attorney for you, <laughs> which is great. So this is, you know, why, why I have Brooklyn on here is I feel like you're legitly, you know, you do the right thing. You know what you're doing, right? I've reached out to you many times for, I do. you know, so, <laughs> and I, I mean, I don't think I would have anybody on who wasn't like that. So, so let's get started before we get into some of these common mistakes. Let's get started to some of the legal requirements. So let's talk about someone that has a house to sell. And they have a will or they don't have a will. Can you kind of go through just high level the differences between a will versus no will and how that impacts someone on the sell side? Right. So in the state of Texas, we're a community property state, but it's a little different if a a spouse passes away um, without a will, right? And so I tell everyone that you may not have to go to probate, but it is best to go ahead and put together a will that you choose versus what the state of Texas has lined up for you, especially when we have blended families, right? We have people that lost a spouse, divorced, remarried, and then now dad dies and mom's left behind. Well, she gets her 50% of the community property, which is, you know, let's just say the house for the talk of real estate, right? But then the other 50% of the real estate that is the husband's that has now passed without a will, you have now gone, you have an intestate process, right? And so now mom is joint tenants with her children, her stepchildren, whoever can lay claim. Now, a homestead property, you can, you know, say this was my property. I bought it with my husband and you can fight it out. But the fact of the matter is, why even put yourself through that when it's so simple to just put together a will? Yeah, it seems like a complex scenario on the back end for such a minimal cost on the front end. Yeah, no, no kidding. And I think that you know, I've been doing this, I guess, now almost 15 years. It's just people get uncomfortable, right? And they don't like to, nobody wants to talk about dying. But it, it's last time I checked, there's 100% mortality rate still. So it's better to have, be proactive and have a plan when there's, you know, not just your will. I mean, the power of attorneys need to be in place, you know, your, your living will or directed to a physician. There's five main documents that everyone needs. And if a lot of people think, Oh, I don't need that. I'm only, I'm 19. I'm going to college. Um, well, if you're, you're an adult and if you're in a car wreck and you're in a coma, somebody needs to talk to the doctor. So you do need a power of attorney, you need a medical power of attorney. So, yeah, I mean, again, it is something that the state of Texas is very lenient on, right? You can write it on a napkin and it's, it's your wish. Um, of course, it'd be best to get it professionally prepared. You could have a will that's, you wrote it on a napkin or a piece of paper, it doesn't matter. And it's recorded or unrecorded. And it's still a will that someone could use to navigate. Right. And so um, it, it doesn't have to be you know, exactly perfect, but it's something you need to at least express your wishes on what you want. If you have young children, you know, listen, you die, somebody's got to take care of them. You can say this person's take care, taking care of my child as far as raising them. And this person's in charge of the money left behind to help, you know, so you have kind of a checks and balances. So I, I, I know we're kind of going off on different tangents here, but that's okay. It's good information for everybody to have. So yeah, I think the other thing that people also ask me a lot of times is, do I need a trust? 
And, um, and actually that's how I got into this industry. I was working at a law firm after law school that we would do wills and trusts for clients that were referred to us by financial planners. And so that's what actually got me into the investment world. I, I liked working with those clients, but to do, to do their estate plan, to do a trust, to do, you know, to recommend whether they needed a trust, you had to understand what they owned because we're looking at it from back then an estate tax perspective, right? If somebody passed away, there was a rather large death tax. Now we live in a time right now, which it's probably not going to be like this forever, but um, the estate tax is basically 12 million a person. So, you know, $24 million that you don't have to pay tax on when you die as a couple. Unless you're, you live in a 24 million house. (laughs) True. But which, Hey, I mean, bigger problems, you know, Mm -hmm. more money, bigger problems. You know, again, all of this is navigable. It's just working with the right advisor and the right team around you. I think we live in a world that people, it's a do it yourself world. And, you know, we're guilty of that to a point, but I think that when you have wealth like this, it's, I mean, you need to find a team that you trust to put it all together because you're going to make a mistake. You know, it's just better to have, have everything in place and, and not be reliant on say, you know, zoom.com or, or I don't what it no legal zoom <laughs> okay so when when one prepares a will I mean again I've seen my parents do this and and you say you know you're 19 you don't need understand why you need to do it but I saw my parents at such an early age like do wills and uh, figure out burial I mean it's just like they figured everything out and you know now I'm like oh now I understand why they did it but so in, in a will, I, I've seen and I've been an executor, but I've, I understand that there's sometimes that, you know, when there's not an executor na- um, name, that maybe there's a receiver named. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, I mean, I think if you're in a, if you have an actual written document, you could have a, a corporate executor, if you will. So like my firm, mm-hmm. Texas Financial Advisory, is capable of stepping in to be the representative for an estate. And so, you know, some people name their banks that have like trust departments in it, but I still think there should be a human element, whether that is another relative that's co-executors. Now, if you pass and there's not a will or trust or no written document, and you've got people vying for the power, the judge is going to probably appoint a third party receivership. And at that point, you know, again, there's, there's no personal relationship. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's like bankruptcy, right? Where you have someone that's just there to do the collect, do the paperwork, do the collections. They don't really care about the people or what's happening. Mm-hmm. I, I call that the cold shoulder environment where sure. they're just like here passing paper collecting and collecting their fees and mm-hmm. doing their job but god it makes me so sad to think like how hard a person would work to create wealth and and you know do all the i mean it's hard right i mean girl you and i both i mean the grind and and to think that you build this all up one day and then you die and somebody some random stranger steps in to undo what you've worked years for. Or just determine who gets what. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just the money that slips to the cracks there. And then just the lack. I mean, that's why, you know, people say, I mean, 
about wealth, you know, there's a phenomenon called sudden wealth syndrome where, you know, you come into a large sum of money that most people that, that walk into that, whether it's an athlete that gets a big contract or um, a lottery winner or an inheritance, right? That individual ends up back in their shoes, if not worse <laughs> than they were before. And I've seen that time and time again through inheritances. We saw it through the, the big boom, the Eagle Ford shell, um, when people started getting these huge checks mm-hmm. and didn't really understand what was going on. It's just, wow, is, like, is it fake? It looks so, I mean, I've never seen this check this large in my life. Now let's talk about those documents needing to sell that real estate because I know that I've, I've personally dealt with two different types of processes. I had a will. I was named the executor. I was actually named the executor of my sister. And we decided that that really wasn't the right thing to do. And, you know, she recused herself. But in my personal um, situation, there only needed to be one executor making those decisions. It didn't need to be two or three. I've navigated where I was, I think I, I don't remember, I had a will, but the assets were so small, right? And there's a different process for that. Like my father had barely nothing. My stepmother had a, had a lot, right? So, you know, there was, um, I got a different document every time when I needed to go through the process. So explain that because I know that people are thinking like, what do I need to be able to sell the house? Right. And again, everyone's situation is different. It kind of depends on what you're, who you're dealing with, if there's anything in place. Just because there's a will um, doesn't mean that it has to be probated either. Uh, if you have a trust, this is something I see quite often. People will go through all the hardship of creating a trust and then they never fund it. They spend you know $5,000 creating this huge thick binder and then nobody transfers the deed of the property into the trust or you know creates a trust account. And God, I see that so much. You know, there's there's different tools like for instance, something uh, when you have a small estate or maybe it's just a one-off, you can do something called like an affidavit of airship that basically states, you know, listen, dad died, mom's dead. Here's his will. We're not going to probate it. Um, it's supposed to go these three ways or this one way, you know, we're going to sell the property. Um, and then, you know, that way you still pay with the title insurance, you have clear title but it's to kind of avoid that unnecessary expense of going to probate and also the privacy aspect. Um, I think a lot of people, they're not really concerned about the, the expense. It's more about the privacy that is not afforded to you when you go through probate. I mean, when I went through probate with larger assets, there were multiple heirs. There was complexity. There was a sister who passed and, you know, there was heirs beneath the sister. Now it was a little bit more complicated. So we went through probate and what I learned was, Certain counties are attorney probate counties and certain attorneys aren't. So, you know, the county that I went through, I had to hire an attorney. It didn't matter, you know, if I wanted to do it myself or not. And then the next time it didn't, next county that I dealt with, I didn't have to go through that process. I didn't have that additional expense. And, you know, in reality, again, real estate for a lot of people is like the largest asset for their estate. It's something that they have pride in. They've sunk money into. They've spent years. They borrowed money to make it happen. And then you pass away, right? And just like in the stock market, you can't time the stock market. Well, you can't time the real estate market either. But the point is, is that you want somebody there to be in place to take care of that real estate so that it is 
leveraged in a way to benefit your family because you don't want the, the asset sold if it's not the right time to sell. Um, but you also want it, you know, leveraged. I mean, I've got a client right now that her mom died and has a rather large um, ranch out in Bandera, Bandera County. And then, you know, the home she lived in in Bernie and then another like a lot down in, I don't know, Laredo or something. <laughs> um, but they don't know what they want to do, right? They, they're in the grieving process and, and that's okay. You don't, just because a person dies doesn't mean you have to run out and sell it tomorrow. Um, I, I always tell people when you lose a loved one, I would give yourself like six months to get through that grieving process before you start making really big decisions because especially in real estate, right? They're not making land anymore. Um, if you make a mistake, of selling or what have you, when it didn't make sense, it would have been better to hold on to it. It's hard to undo, right? It is. And I've seen the mistake happen where someone waited too long because they didn't have the money and the money, they had to borrow money to, to navigate the process. And then I've seen people who've done it too fast mm -hmm. who have made a mistake because maybe they didn't go get an appraisal on the property and they just said, Oh, we're going to list it. And, or maybe they list it too high and it sat forever. And then they sold it for less than they would have had they navigated it, you know, too fast. So there's those mistakes, right? Depends on which side of the spectrum you're on. The other thing I want people to kind of be aware of is that you can be real estate rich and cash poor, right? And that could hurt your family. And so that's why a full estate plan, when we talk about investments, real estate, um, insurance, all of that ties together. I, I remember back, I want to say this was right when I first started 2008, had a gentleman inherited property or his dad passed in um, New York. And so back then the estate tax was at 3 million for the estate. If, if it was more than 3 million, then you were taxed. Um, and because it was New York state, they had state tax. Basically he lost, he owed 72% of his dad's $3 million or it was like $5 million. Well, it was all tied up in real estate. And so he didn't have the cash to pay the tax, which is due nine months after the person dies. It's kind of ironic that it's nine months to get born and nine months to pay your tax bill after you die. <laughs> um, and so he, he had to do a fire sell on that property because he had to pay a tax bill. He didn't, you know, it wasn't the best way to sell that property. And this poor man, you know, again, lost 72% of the estate to taxes. And it kind of mirrors and it reminds me of my situation selling my actual childhood home. My mom had passed. My stepdad was the, the new owner of the home when he passed. You know, he had real estate. He had some assets. What he had done is... The house was such an, a need of repair, but what he had done is he had um, every other 401k investment account, money, bank account, he gifted to a family member through a beneficiary. So what happened is we wanted to improve that house, but we couldn't because we didn't have any funds to do so. So I, as the executor, put, put in my own personal dollars mm -hmm. to fund the temporary fix to get to the cell. Yeah. Of course I got that back, but most executors may not have that money. So it's it's kind of a conversation piece if you have someone who has a similar situation and they have deferred maintenance and maybe, you know, where are your other assets? Mm -hmm. And 
who are they going to? Because if it's a beneficiary, they're going to bypass the estate completely. Yeah. And, and that's something that people need to be aware of about beneficiaries. Beneficiaries trump all estate planning documents. So I could tell you that uh, in my will that I want my dog to get my dog Nelson to get 100% of everything I own. But then it, if I have my kids listed as my beneficiary on my life insurance account, you know, sorry, Nelson, you don't get any money because it's the beneficiaries trump all um, documents. And this is a caveat just because we have a different audience here. If you have been previously married, you need to make sure your, your beneficiaries have been changed because I have been through three instances where an ex-spouse was still listed as beneficiary on old 401ks, old life insurance policies, and husband dies. They bypassed to them. Yeah, exactly. Old wife gets it's, the accident. <laughs> so. yeah, and, and that's and always a, a exciting <laughs> moment in the um, estate process mm-hmm. when the, the new spouse or children are expecting it, which is really Have sad. you ever dealt with anybody having like a deed upon death in place? I have not. Have you, I mean, have you? Yeah. So it's, Again, it's one of those county-specific type. Fortunately, I'm, I'm, you know, I guess headquartered in Bear County, and Bear County allows for that. Comal County allows it. Um, Guadalupe, and so you can. There's a form that is a Texas endorsed form that you can, um, in essence, put a beneficiary on your property, and it gets filed along with the death certificate, and it just says, you know, here's the beneficiary of my house. So that also helps bypass probate and the expense. Again, it's just a way of cleaning up title so that that house could be done or, you know, what have you. Yeah, they probably had their court system in a rut and with a lot of issues and they thought, okay, let's fix that. Right. I mean, it's a tool because, uh, again, a lot of people don't need a probate when they've got beneficiaries on things. And so now we were left with the house and you know, again, if, if or any real estate, if, if there's no real need for a court system, that deed upon death can work. How have you encountered someone who just doesn't understand the language in the will or they start acting and with their authority before they have the authority to act? Um, like I get named, I'm going to use myself. I get named in the will as an executor. When And I know this question, I know the answer, but when do I have the authority to act? And what happens to me if I interpret the language wrong in the will on what my authority is? Well, a lot of this is a just depends answer. I mean, um, right. In theory, if you're, you want to do it by the book, you need to get, you know, letters testamentary done. And then that appoints you as the executor. Some folks, again, wanting to keep things private will retain an estate planner, an attorney that will basically the, that person can sign an affidavit that now they, they accept their role as this position. The key mm-hmm. here is that you're now a fiduciary for that estate. And so you represent all of the people that that estate is there to benefit, right? So there's a liability on you. Um, and so that's something to be aware of a lot of people have not been in that position before and um you can be personally liable you you know we live in a very litigious society and there's 
attorneys out there that will work for contingency fees and, you know, not get paid until you get paid and just, you know, some dirty dog stuff goes on. And so um, just you got to protect yourself because, again, as a fiduciary, you know, you have a higher duty legally, ethically, morally to do what's in the best interest of the estate. I'm assuming that duty is keeping logs of expenses and assets and managing risk on property, keeping insurance on the property, like make, making sure all of the above happen. Yes. Because again, you're going to be the one question. If somebody, somebody could come in and, and be like, mm, I don't think it was done right. Now you've opened yourself up. Like all they have to do is say, I don't think it was done right. They don't have to even say what was done wrong. You know, they don't have to prove it. You're the one that has to be on defense at all times. Right. It's like almost an IRS audit. Yeah. <laughs> You're the one who has to be ready for someone to say you've done something wrong. Yeah. Now, this is something that I tell everybody now because I had this scenario myself is prematurely dividing assets to me. I tell everybody just because a house sells doesn't mean everybody gets their money. Right. The house needs to sell. It needs to go into an account where there's trust or an estate account. It doesn't matter. Right. And I had a situation where my stepdad was work. He was getting social security and he was still working and he was working more than he could. So he was having to pay back social security dollars. But through going through the house, I never saw a paycheck and I could never get a paycheck stop. I never knew that he had money coming out of his paycheck every week to pay back Social Security and he had like a $3,000 balance. It wasn't until two years later that I was notified by Social Security that the state owed a lump sum money. I thought it was good about a year and a half or two years in to disperse the assets. So then I had to go back to myself and my heirs and split the money appropriately and pay back Social Security. So yeah. now I tell Ray, pause and think and make sure you have everything covered. Yeah, because again, you just don't know. And every, just like anything, everyone's situation is different. So it's a balance of speed and care, you know, to, to get everything navigated. No, I don't think you have to spend, you know, have money sit idle for 10 years or something. But no. you should have kind of an escrow account there because you got to pay for a tax return. You know, um, there's... The, you know, that's a process. I think that a lot of people don't realize that that tax return, you know, you, you pass away February of 2023. We still got to do a tax return for 2023. And then what if there's money that's still tied up or in a trust in 2024? You know, we, we still we still have a tax return associated with it. So, you know, that's why my firm, again, has not just the investments. We do taxes. We also do estate planning it all flows together and you know again all you can do is is plan right and and our goal as professionals are to help you know how and what to do and and i know you jennifer just as far as like the recommendations both of us do what we do because we we love doing it uh, it's not because it's our lottery ticket <laughs> right um so when you get the advice of our of our firm or, or your, you know, your agency, it's because we want you to do well. And we're not sitting there like, Oh yeah, I, I know you're not going to be the one to be like, Oh, let's hurry up and put it on the market and sell it right now because I want to get a commission. And it's not, that's not how you work. 
No. And and when you deal with an estate, it's almost like, let's pause and make sure we have all the documents. Make sure the title company has searched, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, make sure there's no money needs to be paid back. I mean, let's make sure all the dies are dotted and all the T's are crossed before we even start the process. Yep. Let's take it a step further and get a third party appraiser appraisal done because generally there's more heirs than one, right? So many people don't do that. And it's a mess when too much time goes by. I think that's more prudent to get the appraisal done of property because it, from a tax standpoint, um, that you, you, as a beneficiary, you inherit property in a step up basis, right? So mom and dad could buy this house for a hundred thousand dollars and now they die and it's worth $5 million. Well, if they had sold it before they died, they would have paid capital gains on the, you know, the difference from five million to a hundred thousand dollars. You as a beneficiary get to walk into that house at five million dollars and that's your new cost basis. Well, if you haven't done a formal appraisal on the property, you've created kind of again, a, a putting you in a place of liability either from the IRS or the other beneficiaries. Yeah. And, and I say this just from my experiences, you know, one scenario had, you know, lovely beneficiaries or heirs that were okay with me handling everything. And the next time it was, what are you doing? Uh, how much am I getting? You know, mm-hmm. when is this all happening? They were second questioning everything I did. Right. So you never know who you're going to get when death, you know, happens and families you think are great. And at the time, sometimes they're not uh, great at the end. Um, But you talked about, you know, tax implications. And I want to talk about that because I've had so many people ask me, oh, well, should my mom transfer the house before? And and, and the answer is no, no. absolutely not. No, no. And your mom shouldn't put you as a joint owner of her bank account and your mom, like, no, I mean, all of these things. Right. It makes it a little bit more complicated at the, at the end, but you do it because you, you don't put yourself in this middle of this tax situation. Correct. If you deed the house before you die, then we've undone that ability to have that cost basis step up that the heirs can walk in and get that, that house tax free. So no, you don't want to do that. Same thing. You don't want to add your kid to a bank account as your joint, just, you know, in case you're in a car wreck, that way they can get out the money because guess what? You've now created, um, you've, you've commingled funds, if you will. And if you're, I had an instance where a gentleman was on the police force and he, um, it was, he actually was retired police, but then went to run the police security, like via buses have their own police department, if you will. And a bus driver got in a wreck, killed someone. Well, that family, you're talking about that we live in very litigious society, sued everybody with VIA, including the police force within VIA. So now that gentleman who was head of the police force was named individually in a lawsuit so assets end up getting frozen and he was joint owner with mom's bank account and mom needs her money. But now the assets frozen because son's in this 
lawsuit. So it's a very long story, but that's the, that's the highlight. Why you separate yourself. <laughs> well, why you have an, a professional working with you so that you don't create these problems. So this is something I see on the, the back end. A lot of people don't realize this is um, the only person that does not need to disclose anything about the property is an executor. But most executors are heirs and heirs have a, a duty to, they have a requirement they have to, they have to disclose. So when you're selling a property, you fill out a seller's disclosure. The only person who doesn't have to do that is an executor who's not an heir. So if it was, if it was mom's house, right, and I'm an heir and I'm also an executor, I still have to fill that up, document out, even though I'm an executor because I'm an heir. And an heir trumps an executor and that disclosure. So I tell everybody, just fill it out. Usually if you're an executor and your mom's lived there 40 years, you've been in the house and you've heard mom say the plumbing leaked here and I had a contractor out, you know, if something that's happened in the house. So that happens far too often is the over disclosing or lack of disclosing, which is um, can get a lot of people in trouble as well. Yeah, that that's complicated, right? <laughs> But it's that, very complicated. That's very, yeah, that's an interesting fact. I, I, I did not know that. So I wonder if you had. So if you had like a third party, like like my firm, right? So sometimes we're named as beneficiaries or trustees, which is a whole other mm -hmm. uh, compliance thing. But obviously, if my firm was named on the estate as that role, we wouldn't know about the. Plumbing. You wouldn't know anything. You were a third party, neutral third party. You don't know anything. You're named as an executive receiver or whatever. Then you don't need to do any kind of um, disclosure. There's only um, in Texas, there's only two types of um, non-disclosure for suffer condition. And it's an executor. And the other one is for foreclosure because the bank doesn't know anything. Same situation. What about bankruptcy? Well, if they're selling their house from bankruptcy, generally it's um, husband and wife who own it, unless the bank's already taken it back. If it's been foreclosed for bankruptcy, yeah, the bank is already taking it back and the bank's selling it. So they don't have to fill out a seller's disclosure, but it. a short sell, they would because they still own it. Mm -hmm. So those are the only two. And this is why I recommend, you know, the, there's a lot of people trying to DIY it and sell their home when you're... Or, I mean, and I say this, I'm a, a real estate broker. I've been in the industry a long time. And I personally was listening to the executor. And I wouldn't have done that had I not had that years of experience before that and having navigated other estate sales before for clients. If I had not had that experience, I would have said, I can't be the executor because I, and so, and I, I can't sell this house because it's my family house and I don't know what I'm doing, Right. I would have hired someone, a neutral third party to be that sell. I always say hire a real estate agent who has that experience that understands the documents you need, the processes, the what you need to go through. Don't try to do it yourself because you'll realize you'll make a mistake. Like you won't get the appraisal or you sell too fast or too slow or won't know how to disclose. Yeah. Are there any uh, any recommendations on your end that we haven't really talked or common mistakes? Well, you know, I'm going to be biased as far as what we do as a firm because we represent clients on, you know, investments, tax planning, estate planning. So we're able to bring all trifectas in, but sometimes we don't do all three things for clients, right? Maybe they have an established relationship or they 
there are documents, you know, that are in place. There's no need to redo documents. Oh, here's a, this is a new one. Um, so in the state of Texas, if you do a will, so say I do a will at, at 1049 this morning, and then tomorrow at 1049, I do another will. Well, by design, there's a codicil or the, um, a part of your new will will say, I revoke all old wills, right? So the will I did today is gone away. It doesn't matter what it said. It's my new will is tomorrow's, right? Well, trusts aren't, don't work that way. And I, I have a, a situation right now where I have a client that they did a trust with an attorney back in 2012. And that trust was fine for their situation, what they needed. It was a living revocable trust, nothing wrong with it. The, the house was properly deeded into the trust. And then along came some financial advisor that was selling, I mean, under the guise of estate planning, really selling insurance products. And they bought a new trust that was an electronic trust because this is, this is totally convoluted. But point being, they now have two trusts. They have one from 2012, one from 2018. Well, the trusts say the same, meaning mom, dad, die. These three kids go three ways. It gets it three ways. But it named different different trustees of those trusts. So wherein had they had it done properly, one, they didn't need the second trust. And they didn't understand. They didn't know. Right. And then... Um, they thought they were being guided by someone who they believed. Yes. And oh, here's something else. This is another caveat of it. So they went to this, they did this electronic trust that it's a Texas trust, but based upon Nevada law, because Nevada allows for electronic signatures. So you can do this online and then, but for safety measure, because the state of Texas is not an electronic signature for wills and trusts, um, went to their bank and there was these different um, forms that basically was were affidavits, if you will, that husband and wife had created these electronic trusts. They were in a, you know, this is what they wanted. So they go to the bank for the bank to witness and notarize those documents and then to put the new trust as the beneficiary or open an account so that their money from the bank would go into this new trust. Well, the little banker girl who did all the notarizing and all that stuff, she never did the bank. She never set up the trust account correctly and didn't do the POD on the bank account. So now they have like well over you know, several hundred thousand dollars stuck in the bank. And so we're trying to get everything else done through pro, you know, we're not going through probate for anything else. And we're waiting until all the assets get seasoned and divided but that money's just sitting in the bank so that once we get everything else distributed, then they'll go through probate just for the bank money. Because otherwise, if they had to go through probate now, they would have to list all the assets in the inventory aspect. I mean, you just see how this is a mess, right? Yeah, it is a mess. It, it just proves to you, you need to go to, uh, you need to work with someone who is competent, well-respected. Someone who you've been referred to, they've worked with in the past. You don't need to just find someone online. Yeah. And and I mean, you can look online, but interview people. Well, right. That's what I'm saying. Just don't find like when when you said 
Texas law, but they it was in Nevada. Like when you're commingling, I'm saying two different states into a state planning for the state of Texas. That's that's when you know you're getting sideways, right? Like it, Texas is a different beast. Texas is different than any other state. But what's even nuttier, I think, because I think about the two two trusts that they put together. The attorney that did it in 2012, you know, he was totally unrelated to the investments. He didn't really know anything. And that's fine. That's that's kind of standard. But then this 2018 trust that this lady did to sell them, in essence, an annuity and a life insurance policy it was not needed. She had no role in there. Whereas with my firm, again, we we look to see what you have in place. We look to see what professional put that in place. And then if it needs to be updated or redone, then we can recommend from there. Or we just work directly with who you've already been working with, right? And same thing with taxes. But you know, again, that's rare to find from an investment firm because a lot of people work with broker dealers, you know, the Ever Jones, the wirehouses, the banks, and they're not you know, look at what I just said about the bank and this client's, you know, account and that it wasn't done right because she didn't know what she was doing. Yeah, I think really the moral of the story is we all work really, I mean, I assume we all work really hard on working hard um, to to put together, to, to care for our family, to build wealth, and then to not have it, have that bow on it upon your demise. I mean, it, that is just kind of ridiculous because... The tools are available. The professionals are here. I always say you go through this process, you spend the money and go through the process so it can almost be seamless at the end. Yeah. But there are times when you don't do it the right way, it's not seamless and it's more complicated than you not navigating at all. And it goes back to the grieving process. If we can take as much business off the table so that the loved ones can properly grieve, that's so... I mean, that, that is, it's a huge gift that you can give to your family. Um, but because causing financial chaos upon your family, um, because of improper planning is, I mean, it's torturous now. I mean, there could be some people out there that are, that, you know, like the cause chaos upon their demise. They're watching all this go on. <laughs> no, I will speak from my experience. I, and you talk about the grieving process. It's true. I mean, I feel like the executor or in my situation, I was the executor. I, I felt like it was a business. I had to take care of something, right? I didn't have time to grieve. I had to take care of the house and take care of the assets and take care of the distribution and take care of like getting things going, right? I grieved long after that process when all of my siblings were grieving in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And so... I agree with you. I feel like if the more you have buttoned up up front, the more that you can just be raw in the moment and not have to worry about it. Right. Okay. What would be your, besides getting everything buttoned up in front and maybe hiring somebody and get your, you know, house appraised and not selling before or transferring before death. Is there anything else that you may recommend someone do or consider doing post death or before death that just would make life easier? Well, I, I will I will speak to real estate because this is a real estate podcast. I have found that a lot of people have gotten into this passive income game where they've got not just their, their home, right? That they've got their home for real estate, but they also have multifamily or they have rental properties. 
And if that is not properly like a business to continue to run um, upon your demise, I mean, it it can be a mess. Um, And so that is something, again, I, I know you work with people that buy and sell houses for investments and, and it takes a certain special someone. It's not, I know we see all these shows or Instagram, whatever stories and reels like, Oh, I'm a millionaire in seven months because I'm in real estate. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's not the way it works. (laughs) No, that people don't know. And so if you actually are successful at it, you need to make sure there's a game plan when you die uh, to, to keep it up and running so that it can be wound down or, you know, what have or you passed on to your, your heirs at that point. And, right? and it, just because you're got good at it doesn't mean your, your kid's going to be good at it either. You know, I mean, gosh, I, I've got a, a last story. I'll tell, I have a couple that, um, you know, they, they are just last thing, last time we counted, I think they've got like 26 different properties going, um, between short-term real estate, long-term or short-term rental, long-term rentals, um, multifamily. I mean, all these moving parts, syndication. That's that's complicated. Yes. And they've got three kids. One son helps with like handyman stuff. And then their two daughters have just, they don't do anything. And I'm looking at this couple going like, who's going to run this monstrosity of a machine you got going on when you die? You know, like you've got to have, this is a business. You got, a lot happening here. So you need to think about that and have those personal conversations before, like you said, the demise because, right. and that's what I tell them. Cause they handle all their buying and selling and, you know, she, the wife's got her real estate. I'm like, you need to have a team around you because if y'all God forbid we're in a car wreck and in a coma or you both died, you know, you, you need a real estate, you need, you need, a real estate agent, you need an investment advisor, you need an estate planner, like you need a tax repair, you need all these people together because you're doing it yourself and it's going to be a mess. So that's a very good tip for investors because, you know, we talked about just your average person selling because of a death in the family, but you know, your, your, I mean, your Airbnb or your VRBOs are huge right now. People are buying them. I mean, I've, Friends that are buying out of state of Texas now because it's so much cheaper. They're buying them by swarms. Sure. So I'm sure they don't have it buttoned up like you said they do, but they should. I, I knew a lot going into this, just have, have navigated it and, you know, having a previous investment background a little bit, knowing what to do and not to do. But, you know, I, there's a few things I learned here, which is, I think, always fascinating. So I will end with this and kind of my closing remarks. I feel like the best thing to do is, you know, get organized, get, gather all that paperwork before listing the home for sale when you can't list the home for sale until you are authorized to um, make sure you align with a reputable, uh, respected estate planner or investment strategist to like help you navigate the process, process, you know, send all those documents also to your realtor or title professional before you um, to make sure there's not going to be bumps in the roads. And then always get a third party appraisal on the home, especially if there's going to be, you know, heirs to establish that baseline or, or an inheritance, you know, price and sales price. Brooklyn, I'd like to express my gratitude for your generosity and sharing your valuable insights and shedding light on the most common mistakes that executors, heirs and 
even investors um, make when uh, navigating a real estate sale. Your contributions greatly appreciated, and I'm confident that this information will be enlightening for our Texas-based listeners. So thanks again. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. Yeah, I, I always like having people on that are, I feel like, like me and can talk for days about your profession, right? You're here because you love it, right? You're not here because, yeah, you make money, right? It feeds your family, right? And allows you to take trips, but you love it or you wouldn't be in it. So yeah, I really enjoy having people on that that are in that same boat like I, I am, so... So if you should have an estate or investment need and would like to reach out to Brooklyn after listening to this episode, her contact information can be found in the show notes. So I'd like to express my um, gratitude to all of our listeners, whether you're listening to us from the comfort of your own home or on the go. I hope today's episode of Urban Connect has been informative and valuable to you. If you've enjoyed the show, I would be grateful if you consider following or subscribing our podcast. You're Support helps us reach a wider audience and grow the Urban Connect community. If you have comments or questions about today's episode, feel free to reach out to me directly at jennifer at urbanconnectpodcast.com. I value and appreciate your feedback, and I'm always open to hearing your thoughts and suggestions. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Ochambeau, and I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode of Urban Connect.